Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I'm the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxanos, Pennsylvania, and I am so happy to be sharing this episode with you. Uh, I am so thankful for many of uh, the men and pastors in ministry that I've been able to connect with over the years uh, throughout the course of my time blogging and writing and thinking about theological matters I've been able to make a lot of I would say sound friendships and acquaintances and connections and uh, one of those is one that I get to share with you today uh, there's another podcast that goes around. Uh, the name of it is Theocast, and they've been through some transitions, but they are in a place where they're at now. They are being uh, hosted by three church planters, uh, John, Justin, and Jimmy, and I'm so happy that I get to share with you this uh, conversation that I got to have with two-thirds of the Theocast team, uh, Justin and John, uh, Justin Purdue and John Moffitt, and uh, it is so... I, I just can't wait to share this conversation with you. Um, it is a one in which it just is, it, it comes out of a lot of my own sort of theological journeying and my theological wrestling. And so I think you'll really find uh, the topics profound, the topics that we cover uh, really sort of relevant to where we are. And I hope that they're resonant to where you are as well in just how we're thinking about what it means to be uh, a Christian who rests in Christ alone. And what does that look like and, wh- and why that is so important and why if we aren't resting, we are actually uh, hurting uh, not just our faith, but the faith of those around us. And um, so we get to talk about a, a lot of stuff in those sort of realms. Uh, the settledness of of the Christian life is sort of uh, the theme that I think kind of comes to the, for, uh, the surface uh, throughout this conversation. And so I hope this blesses you. Uh, John and Justin are great thinkers, and uh, they are much wiser than I, and I'm so glad that I was able to share uh, just a morning with them chatting about Jesus. There's really nothing better that <laughs> that I would like to do than that. So uh, without further ado, we're going to jump into the into the conversation uh, that I was able to have with John and Justin and the hosts of Theocast and pastors in their own rights. So uh, make sure you listen. Before we get right to that, let me just share a quick word um, from uh, our presenting sponsor, which is uh, Fresh Roasted Coffee. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. 
I was introduced to fresh roasted coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or pour over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Now, on to my conversation with John and Justin. Enjoy. Well, uh, John and Justin, I'm so happy to have you on. It's been a long time coming. How are you both doing this morning on this early early uh, Wednesday morning? Good, Brad. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, yeah I'm so well, happy man. for it. Oh, man, I'm so happy to be able to do this. It's been an, something I've been wanting to do. I've been uh, a, a faithful listener of Theocast for a while, and I just appreciate the work that you that you guys uh, do, uh, two-thirds of the of the crew, I suppose. Um, and I'm so – I'm really grateful for the fact that uh, you guys are able to carve out this time and we can just – you know, what's better than just talking about Jesus and the gospel? I think that's, right. that's, uh, that's, that's the yeah. best for me. <laughs> well, I can speak for Justin. You're, you're our hero. You're the faithful pastor who loves people in and day out. So we're, we're thankful for you more than you're thankful yeah, for us. <laughs> well, well, I appreciate that. And uh, you guys are both pastors yourselves. So I just wanted to start there. Um, just kind of introduce, uh, introduce yourself, kind of where you're serving, where God has called you, and uh, why you're passionate about where God has, has kind of placed you at this sort of juncture in your life. You can go ahead uh, first, uh, Justin. Yeah, so I am the lead pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, our, our church meets just on the south side of downtown. Uh, the church is five years old. I've been the lead pastor since we constituted it back in late 2015. Um, as far as just me and my theological journey, I guess, as you might describe it, it's been a long time mm. in the making uh, from, you know, I'm in my late 30s now. I encountered uh, Calvinistic, like doctrines of grace kind of theology in my early 20s. And it's been about a 15 year pilgrimage to hmm. land the last several years, kind of gelled and crystallized in the space that I would say I, I'm in now, which is a more uh, confessional reformed place. And for me, I think if I were to try to sum up my, my aims in ministry and in preaching, it's to herald and extol as much as possible the sufficiency of Christ to save sinners. And mm. if people were going to take one thing away and, and say, this is what characterizes the ministry of Covenant Baptist Church, I would hope that would be the takeaway. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other things that I could say, but I, I want to let John introduce himself and then we'll we'll maybe go from there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so um, I have the, the joy of uh, pastoring Grace Reform Church just south of Nashville. It's in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and we're um, <laughs> our little little town is exploding. Uh, the last few weeks, we keep having a lot of, and I mean by like every week, we have three different families coming from California to visit the church. <laughs> so for whatever reason, mm. Californians are, are loving Middle Tennessee at the moment. California. Um, I know. That's, that's my hometown, so I'm bring it on. They're welcome to come. Uh, it's been fun. We started three years ago, and uh, we've bounced all over the place, and it's been an interesting ride. And when I talk to guys who want to plant churches, um, I, I tell them there's a couple of things you're going to need to have. You're going to need to have patience, and then you're going to need to have patience, and then you're going to need to have a little more right. patience. <laughs> uh, it's required a lot of patience on my wife and I's side, and my kids are a little older, so that, that can probably add to the challenge. But <clears throat> it's been it's – been, Well, uh, hey. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'll, I'll jump in on that train real quick. I am, church is five plus years old. We've been in the Asheville area for a little over six. And I tell people all the time, like things are going well now. And God has done a lot of encouraging stuff in the last half dozen years. And I would not for any sum of money want to live these years again. <laughs> and, and I think that's useful for guys that are thinking about ministry to understand. Yeah. You always yeah. hear this and you pay lip service to the idea that it's going to be hard. But like, listen to us say, it's going to be hard mm -hmm. and patience is required. And, and I'm sure we're going to get into this, not only patience with the process and with 
the kind of growth and maturation of the church, but like patience with your people. Mm-hmm. And also, I'll just go ahead and say this too. I think there's a foolish assumption that exists on the part of many people that if you plant a church with a general sense of theological like-mindedness, that you'll have a healthy culture from Jump Street, like just from day one, <laughs> it's going to be great. And it's like, that is absolutely naive because you need to realize yeah. that most people who are going to be a part of said church, maybe yourself included, have never been a part of a decent church before. And it's mm. like, you know, how in the world would you assume that you're just going to get it right immediately? It takes years <laughs> to build a culture, right? You can't microwave mm. this, That's right. right? It, it no. just takes time. Anyway, sorry, John, I interrupted you, trampled all over you. <laughs> You're totally fine, man. There we go. No, it's been, uh, t- I, I agree with everything that Justin has said. I, it's been, um, it's been fun and challenging to, um, build the, the church culture. One of the things, um, uh, that has helped me through, you know, for speaking to pastors who listen on this podcast that as I have shepherded over the, <clears throat> over the last year through COVID, um, our church has always been confessional. It's always been, uh, Christocentric. One of the things that I have had to embrace is just the frailty of life and learning mm-hmm. what confessional and um, um, just Christ- Christocentric ministry looks like when you can't fix people's life, like that you can't r- remove the scars, you can't bring people back from the dead, you can't remove the cancer. So one of the things I told our church recently in our new members class is that our church really is a transition ministry. We, we are helping people move to death um, with hope and dignity. <laughs> uh, there's the message of the Bible. That's what it is. It's here is how you cling to Christ and have hope in death and dignity versus the world that's clamoring about flailing its arms, trying to preserve its money and health and still dies without anything. Um, and it's been interesting because mm. it, it, it actually brings hope. Someone says, so you're talking about Christian, Christian hospice. And I was like, no, not Christian hospice, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so yeah, I have kind of, yeah, a I little mean, bit. Yeah. Know, but, uh, yeah, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. The phrase at our church is that when everybody walks in the door, we, we just say, Hey, look, everybody here is an equal need of grace. And mm-hmm. we're all here trying to boost each other towards Christ and, while we await mm-hmm. his return, mm-hmm. you know, we have hope for you. And, um, it's mm-hmm. been, it's yeah. been, I think life giving in a, in a, um, in a pandemic season. So it's, is as a pastor, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I actually have direction versus before, you know, if you're, when you're a church planner, sometimes it's, everybody's always asking you about your numbers. They're always asking about where's the building. And through pe- the pandemic, it's kind of been, you know, we are surviving and yet we have hope when the world doesn't. It's It's been a refreshing period for us. Well, John, I mean, even to pick up on a couple of things that you're saying, man, I mean, you don't have to be into prosperity theology to be earthbound in the way that you think about hmm. stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think so often, I, now don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I mean, I do think that there are many good things in the world. Uh, there are many things to be enjoyed there is really uh, a lot of sweetness in the church too, because it's a foretaste of what we have been called to, you know, the hope that ultimately belongs to us in Christ. So I'm not denying any of those things, but I think a lot of times we all buy into notions that things can and should go really well Uh now when the Bible is so clear that we are not living for this life and Mm. we are living for the next one. You know, and so we need to have that perspective in the way that we think about doing ministry too. And I was just thinking about that while you were talking about, you know, effectively Christian hospice and helping people die well (laughs) with dignity, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds absurd to many people, but I think it's a very biblical presentation. And it's Mm -hmm. essentially just a repackaging of of what might be, uh, you know, referred to as Augustine's miserable sinner Christianity. Uh You know, I mean, because that's what we all are. Is yes. we're miserable sinners who have been declared righteous by faith in Christ Jesus, and we are awaiting, along with the rest of the creation, we're groaning and awaiting the resurrection of our bodies. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, well, I would say that that's how you. Anyway, have that to perspective read. as a pastor is helpful. 
Yeah, Sorry, I, and I would say yeah. no. You're you're fine. I was just gonna say that I think that the, that's how you have to read the Book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to preach through it, which I did recently, um, you have to bring it from that perspective. And like I, I've been telling my my folks at my church that you know what drives me whenever I step behind the pulpit to preach is I want to make sure that whoever's listening. Whenever they step uh, across that threshold, they know for sure that forgiveness has already been offered yeah. to them, like free yeah. of charge. Like they don't have to do anything to to get it; it's already there. And either they're mm-hmm. they're rejoicing in it, whereas you know some of our my other friends would say they're they're kind of dancing in it, they're celebrating in that forgiveness, or they're mm-hmm. kind of thumbing their nose at it. But either way, it's already been extended to them, um, yeah. and that that's what drives me. And I'm I, I'm. You know, that's what's been interesting through this like pandemic season is if 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 Christ is your bent, if he's your if he if he's your passion, so to speak, you don't have to worry about um you know what's the latest headline because you're you you already know what you're what's gonna drive your sermon. <laughs> and that's been helpful yeah. for me because I haven't had to like uh, you know, stress over whatever's happening in the the mainstream media or so to speak and um not that it's so, so brad do you get this question it, but do you get this question all the time How, you haven't heard about this i hear that all the time <laughs> yes i do yet? i get that a lot <laughs> I'm like, no i haven't heard about yeah. this what, what, what is this that i need to know about <laughs> well yeah. i mean even another thought here too Obviously, we want to be able to, to pastor people, and mm-hmm. I find that most of my conversations about current events and what's going on, they occur outside of the corporate gathering. Sure. Like we, I mean, I think we all need to embrace the fact that our people are absolutely beat to death Monday through Saturday by everything in life, and they're beat to death by the headlines they read. And yeah. the last thing in the world they need on Sunday morning when we gather together is to hear more about that. They mm. need to hear about Christ and what he's done for them. Amen. And need to be reminded, you know, of the fact that they really do have peace with God now and forever because of yes. Jesus, and because of him alone. And yes. like you said, man, like I know for us, we aim throughout the entire service to set a tone of, hey, you know, you're going to come in here today feeling all kind of ways. You may very well have blown it this week. Um, but just like last Sunday and the Sunday before that, Christ is your righteousness, you know, yes. and, and you, you have peace with the Lord because of him and, and all of these things like God is holy and you're a wretch and Christ is sufficient. Welcome to church. You know, and <laughs> Amen. it's, it's important. I think that we do yeah. that for people um, I, I've, and God I've found... loves you, you know, in, in the Lord and you're absolved of all guilt in Christ yeah. anyway. I've found that like in this season, I've been focusing more on like the, the settledness of all that, which I think is kind of the same, but just your present peace is settled. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but as well as your, your future peace too, you don't have to Amen. have to be so frantic or fretting about it. It is 1000% settled. And, you know, it, it, and I don't mean that just from like a salvific sort of standpoint, but even just, just a regular daily life, you can be settled in Christ because uh, you know who's king. And um, that sounds, uh, for some reason that sounded, that used to sound kind of trite to me, that like, you know, Jesus is still on his throne and like people would say that a lot and I would be like, okay. But in this season of life, I've found so much grace in that thought that just no matter what is happening in the headlines, there's a king who's sitting on his throne. His name is Jesus. And guess what? That king, he shed his blood for me. Like that's, that's a crazy fact that I can't get over. And that's uh, something that I don't have anything to do with. And he's already done it. Um, so I, that settledness is, <laughs> it settles me at least. Uh, and I've been so thankful for that over the last <laughs> 14 odd months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd like to just to add to that, Brad, one of the, yeah. one of the things that I've been trying to help people understand that have been around me is that uh, the gospel becomes sufficient when you realize nothing else is. But here's mm-hmm. uh, to add to what yeah. JP was saying earlier, um, the lie that Satan has gotten away with and he's done it brilliantly, which, you know, we should not be surprised because he's the father of all lies is um, that, that the prosperity gospel is wrong to most conservatives. They know that they, they have a, a strong dislike for Joel Osteen. 
and they feel they feel self righteous in doing so. Like, oh, he's so wrong. But they have fallen into the same trap. It's just on a different level. In that, if they do the right things, they say the right things, and they discipline themselves enough, then God is going to protect them and bless them. And when He doesn't, the brilliancy of Satan's lie is this: those people end up hating God. Not not publicly. They would never say that because then that that would that would make them a bad Christian. But in their heart, if you start talking to people and you allow them to truly open up their heart, they hate God. And here's the brilliance. They believe the lie of Satan, and instead of hating Satan, they hate they hate the God that's been created for them. And the gospel is the only thing that could come in and set this set this straight, because the gospel is not the promise of um, new life here on earth where all will be made right. It, it's not love Jesus and he'll make you happy here. It's that <laughs> it's that Jesus is rescuing you from the utter despair of this life, including your yes. sin and death and pain and sorrow. Well, and we we hold on to Christ because he will bring us out of this pit of death. I mean, this is Paul when he says, who will save me from this body of death? He means the entire life that we live, not just our spiritual life. Yeah, I think it's important, too, that we understand who does the work of sanctification. Um, <laughs> because I'm just listening to John talk, because I think I agree with everything he said. And also just to continue to pile this on for a minute. A lot of times, I think in that conservative evangelical world where disciplines and obedience and discipleship and those kinds of things are emphasized, the the message that's implicit there, while there is oftentimes good discussion of suffering and the like, it's that if you do the right stuff and discipline yourself the right ways and all that, you're going to continue to always improve. Hmm. And you know, it's this onward and upward kind of mentality. It's a, it's its own kind of theology of glory, and I think what we need to remember is that when it comes to our maturation in the faith, even and our sanctification, the vast majority of that occurs through trials and suffering and circumstances that we would have never signed up for, that we would have never asked for, that we would have never foreseen or planned for ourselves, but God ordains them. And the miracle is that he does good work in us through those circumstances and through those trials. He disciplines us right? In order that we might share in his holiness, Hebrews 12. It is his work. It's his wisdom, not ours. And now we participate in our sanctification, just like we participate in in life by being alive, right? But God is the one who does it. And so I think the whole project is just misguided and the emphasis is off and it does a lot of damage. Yeah. Faith in Jesus is not like a formula where you can just Correct. plug in the right things and you automatically get better. <laughs> uh, sometimes and, and life No is, matter how you define better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're right. And yeah. sometimes life is just way more freaking messy than that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes I think we don't have categories for that sort of mess. We like the formulas. We like the simple plug this in and you will always get this. And uh, Unfortunately, I don't think that's just where life happens. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I was actually just – I was preaching um, – not to just belabor this, but I think it's worthwhile. But um, I was preaching from Second Corinthians this past Sunday. And you know, I, I just – when I was studying that letter, it was just so profound to me that uh, there was those in the Corinthian church that were trying to disparage Paul's authority and testimony because mm-hmm. he had suffered. And <laughs> the whole letter is just this such, such a personal almost – diatribe in response to their, that viewpoint of like suffering disqualifies his authority. And it's like, <laughs> no, this is what qualifies me because Jesus himself was the sufferer in our stead. And, and I just, that whole notion, um, of sort of plug and play sanctification just kind of falls apart when you just, well, uh, t- read Paul and, uh, I'm grateful for that. So anyways, <laughs> well, it, even think Brad, Brad, about what people, value in pastors and in ministers. Hmm. I mean, we're always looking for, I mean, I think if you're going to sum it up in a word, like strength, you know, and it's like, okay, I understand, I guess on the one hand, we want to have men that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and are, are men of integrity, et cetera. That's, that's entirely legitimate. But yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, Paul is unpacking the fact that his weakness is not a disqualification. Yeah. If anything, his understanding of his own weakness makes him more qualified, you know, to do what he's doing. 
<laughs> and I think that's a good thing for pastor type guys to remember always yeah. is that we are weak. Like we need to listen to the things that come out of our mouths. You know, we are weak and we are insufficient. And we too, like everybody to whom we might be preaching are casting ourselves upon the mercy of God in Christ. Mm. And we need Christ just as much as anybody sitting in the pew, you know, to, to speak metaphorically needs him. And yeah, anyway, yeah, I, I don't know. You don't, you don't often hear people saying that, you know what I want in a pastor is a man who understands his weakness and is in touch with the depth of his own corruption. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's helpful in the pulpit and it's helpful in pastoral ministry. Well, just generally. to add to that, Justin, I, I was having a conversation with a pastor the other day and he was shocked when I told him that I confess sin to men at my men's Bible study and even more bluntly to my elders. There's this, uh, yeah. especially in the crowd, Brad, that you and I have come from, you do not let your guard down. You do not let people yeah. see your weakness because you're the example. You have a you have a standard that's higher than other people. And if you show weakness, then your people, if you show sin, then your people are going to show sin, which to me, I'm like, I don't think the command to confess our sins to one another from James is like the pastor is exempt from that. The moment yeah. the pastor can't be a sinner, I think, I feel, I feel very confident in this, that many of the pastors that are following today, and I unfortunately know way too many, not even the popular ones, but the, the little guys out there that are shepherding small churches, they're falling into sin because they they can't find help and comfort and they can't find absolution of their sin. That They carry it around to the point where it just festers and then they're caught in it. And, you know, as a pastor, I'm, I'm going to encourage you, you may lose some people that, oh, I can't believe the pastor struggles. Well, you know, that's okay if they go away for the sake of your own soul, that you can actually find some yeah. rest and some help from your sin. I'm not talking about disqualifications. You know, you need to be qualified. But I asked someone this the other day. I'm like, what qualification do I have to uphold that a regular congregant doesn't have to uphold other than I'm going to be held accountable for what I teach? But besides that, we're all under the same requirement. There's, it's not, I don't have a different standard than you. I have the same requirements. So allow the guy to be able to confess his sin so he can find help and comfort and to bear his burden. Sorry, I'm going to go off my yeah. soapbox right now. <laughs> no, I, th I think it's worthwhile just because I, I was actually talking, we, we do a Bible study on Wednesdays and we were just kind of chatting and uh, we, we were talking about uh, confession and those sorts of things. And in that, I was making the point that, you know, sometimes our, our view, of, like you were saying, Justin, how you define better. Uh, I think better is often a, a I think defined by the Bible, so to speak, is a better sense of our need. Um, and the longer we are alive, the deeper and wider <laughs> our need should be for Jesus, not less. Like, I think that that's where, I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself and I'm, I'm, and, and what we want to talk about, but that, that's sort of like where we flip the narrative, so to speak, that, you know, the longer I'm alive and because of all these fruits of the Spirit that I'm obviously evidencing because of how awesome I am at being a Christian, then like, obviously, I don't need Jesus as much, um, mm. and <laughs> which is like completely opposite of the trajectory of faith as as derived out of scripture, I think. And um, just that sense of need is <laughs> so everywhere evident in that, you know, I, th I think it's Steve Brown, um, he says in a sermon, I'm going to like totally like jank it up, but I, I want to at least <laughs> know, let you know that it's not me, it's Steve Brown, but he was saying how like, you know, when he was, he, he doesn't sin less because he's he's somehow more sanctified he's just more tired because he's older <laughs> and I, I think that that's i, I like that th that image and it's funny but I, I think it's so true too because like you know there's this lofty sense of like the elderly in the church who've been around that they're like super spiritual and they've figured out something to sanctification that the young whippersnappers haven't. And maybe they have, but also I think they're just more tired and they don't have the same energy to sin <laughs> um, in the same sorts of ways. And what's different is that maybe perhaps they have a more glaring sense of their need uh, than, than, you know, a young whippersnapper has because we're so haughty and, 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 and self ambitious. Um, but yeah. anyways, <laughs> so no, I would say you, you have heard it said that God is most glorified in us and we are most satisfied in him. Mm. But I say unto you that God is most glorified in us when we most see our need of Christ. Yes. And mm. I think, 
I think yeah. you're right. That I think you're on to something. Um, when we have a very palpable and deep sense, and dare I even say it, feeling of our need of Christ, I think that's a good place to be. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and Paul even says, right in in my weak uh, in my weakness, that's where I find my strength, which is in Christ, Word. the thorn yeah. in the flesh. And so, like he says, I can take on calamity and suffering and persecution because it is there that I find my strength. Not not in his, you know, the obedience. I think what's interesting is he says not in his obedience and not in his success, but it's in his weaknesses that he finds the strength of Christ. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Well, even in terms of like to use the satisfaction language, I think I would rather use it about Jesus, meaning that in seeing him for who he is and in understanding what he's done for me, I look to no one and nothing else. And in that sense, I am satisfied, right? Because I know that Christ is sufficient. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a better way to talk. Yes. Anyway, we can, I mean, we're going here, there and everywhere. I want to make sure we accomplish what you want to accomplish. (laughs) No, I. I like just this sort of free willing conversation, but I think we've already touched on some of the. Well, you're things. certainly getting it, bro. Yeah, I know it's it's great though, <laughs> because uh, we've probably introduced really well. I just wanted to hear uh, from y'all though. The, the you're not just pastors. You've been now running Theocast for a while, which is a theological podcast in the glut of of evangelical, if I, I, I can say that, podcasts uh, that are out there. Um, <laughs> it's a world that's not always easy to get into, but uh, you've been doing it for a while. I'm thankful for what you guys talk about. Uh, so just kind of, if you can, introduce Theocast and kind of like what the heart behind it is. It may be some of the things we've even touched on, but even still, uh, kind of what is Theocast and what's kind of been the heart behind uh, those, those podcasts, those discussions? that you've had. Yeah. Well, Theocast started about six years ago, and it was uh, four pastors trying to describe what leaving pietism looks like um, as we were trying to help our church leave that journey. And um, it's morphed over time uh, just through different career choices and changes. Um, Now it's three church planners who are uh, at three different stages, like one year, three year, five year in. And Mm -hmm. we are having conversations uh, that are very similar, but it's more of how do we how are we helping people make this transition as they come into our churches? Because our churches weren't trying to transform our churches. We're trying to transform the people that come in, which in some ways feels the same way. Um, it does. <laughs> but the, the primary focus of the podcast is there's, there's uh, so much confusion and clutter when it comes around to what is the primary focus of the Christian life. And that mm-hmm. clutter gets put onto the gospel. And we say gospel, we say rest, we say grace and legalism, but we don't really know historically how it is we got to where we are today. So Theocast Mm -hmm. is trying to very gently but pointedly uh, point out where clutter and confusion and legalism and pietism have been put back onto the gospel and actually robs people from hope and rest as they journey in this life. And I would say the second big mission of Theocast is to put the church back in its proper place. It's been mm-hmm. it's been de-emphasized, and it's also been confused on what its purpose is. So we think that there's true rest in Christ in the gospel, and that is echoed over and over and over again and strengthened in the local church that rightly administrates the word and sacraments. So I would say that would be kind of the primary. I mean, our tagline is, uh, encouraging worry pilgrims to rest in Christ. And we think that the way that's done is through the gospel in a local context. Yeah. Hmm. I, I just want to maybe define a few terms. I think John spoke very well about what Theocast is and really what the heart of it is. For those who may or may not be familiar with the term pietism, uh, just maybe a brief word on that. So the, the word piety is a good word. Um, piety is godliness. It is the work of God's spirit in us as we trust Christ to conform us you know, more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So we're all for piety. Pietism is like a hyper focus on the Christian and the interior of the Christian's life. So uh, hyper obsession and even a hyper introspection with respect to the believer's obedience, performance, disciplines, and affections. And so that is something that we think as we've studied church history. And as we look at the current environment in which we find ourselves, that's something that is very prevalent. And it's really, it's like white noise. You know, it's, it's so uh, just 
ever present. It's like the water, you know, that we swim in. And what we're trying to do in one sense is to tell the fish about the water that it's swimming in, right? Because it's just ubiquitous. It's it's all over the place. And so um, we're trying to point some of these things out. And our emphasis to, you know, add on to what John was saying is, is to go back to things that are actually quite old, that predate the United States, um, that predate evangelicalism as a movement. And we want to point people to not only Jesus and his sufficiency, but we want to say things that saints have said before. Uh, so we emphasize very much the objective nature of the gospel, mm-hmm. that it is always extra nos outside of us. So we're never looking inside in terms of trying to find peace or assurance or confidence. We're always looking outside of ourselves to Christ. Yeah. Uh, we we talk a lot about the declarative nature of the gospel, meaning that it is finished. Because I think a lot of times, even though we would all, as you know, anybody claiming to be evangelical is going to say that it is finished, you know, to tell us die, it's over and redemption's done. But functionally, the way that it comes across often is that, yeah, Jesus has done everything maybe, but now you still need to at least maintain, you know, your right standing before the Lord. Yeah. And that's that's just a different kind of slavery. Hmm. And what we're trying to do is is help people understand, no, Christ really has done everything. And by everything, we mean everything. Yeah. Uh-huh. And <laughs> and that, yeah, there is nothing left for you to do. And now you are able to rest and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, you will um, because you have God's spirit in you and you've been united to Jesus, you'll walk in the good works that God has prepared for you to walk in. Yep. That's right. And God doesn't need those good works, but your neighbor does, you know? <laughs> and so yep. that's, that's a lot of what we talk about just in various ways. And uh, we, the topic may vary from week to week, but those truths are going to be there. just kind of all the time. Yeah. And to add to that, um, <clears throat> one of the confusions early on when people start listening to us is that they kind of fall off on either side of the road. And they, 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 um, and we're trying to become better at being clear in our communication. But when Justin says there's nothing left for you to do, the first verse that's thrown our way on social media or wherever else is faith without works is dead. Um, and the, <laughs> the hard part is to understand that, you know, Paul clearly says if you've begun by the spirit and you're trying to perfect yourself by the flesh, who, you know, who bewitched you? Uh, we walk right. by faith. Uh, that's how that's how we live. And as we walk by faith, the fruits of the Spirit come out of us. But it's mm-hmm. not the requirement of the Christian life. It's the, I mean, uh, you know, living people breathe and eat. That's kind of what they do. And, and the point of the New Testament is that living people in the Spirit live. Um, but what's required for your position as adopted child has been taken care of. And the, when you mix the gospel and the law, this is really what we're talking mm. about. The gospel is yep. everything is done. Now rest in that finished work. But there is things for you to do. That's the law, what we would say the third use of the law, where you are to love God and love your neighbor, show gentleness, patience, and kindness, and administrate all of those together for the sake of unity. But that is not – you're depending – your rest – in Christ and your adoption as a child is not dependent upon your obedience to the law. That's, that's Christ. So mm-hmm. we use this language called status forward. If I know I'm secure in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He who began a good work will complete it. God does not let go of any of his adopted. That status mm-hmm. is secure. Now I go love God. And now I go love yeah. my brother knowing I'm going to do it failing all over the place, but I never <laughs> call into question my position. And it's a very strange place for most Christians to be because their entire life, they live in the fear that they may not be saved. And it's even been told to them, it's good to question your your assurance because, you know, it'll help you take your life more seriously. And I look at a, I look at a soldier on a battlefield who, who is timid and weak and not quite sure like he should be out there. That guy is not effective. But you look at a guy who knows his king loves him, and he's like, I know why I'm out here, and he's just going to go full force because he's he's safe and secure in who he is. Man, as Peter says in Second Peter, that man is effective. And that's what the, that's the thing is, is we believe that Christians who find their security safe in Christ are effective, as Peter says. And when they're not, and they're so introspective and they're worried about their position, they're always trying to earn God's favor— Peter says they have forgotten 
that they have been cleansed from their sins. Their motivation is always, I am set free from my sin, therefore I obey. But if you're trying to set yourself free, man, you're always going to be all over the place and, and, and find yourself lacking yep. assurance constantly. Well, yeah, Brad, if I may really yeah, quick go ahead. jump on that. No, go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. So I, I think here's how the reasoning goes hmm. in many evangelical circles, I think. We'll say um, all those who are justified will do good works. All right, that's true. If you don't do good works, if there's just no good works at all, then you are not justified. Okay, that's true. But then the reasoning goes this way. Therefore, do good works to prove you're justified. Wrong. That, that's not how this goes. And that we, we are trying to make that crystal clear that the, the thing only flows one direction. Right, Your good works and your sanctification flow out of your status and your identity and your justification. Mm. The stream doesn't flow uphill, <laughs> right? And so you cannot reverse engineer this thing. So when we're often charged with um, what John said, as soon as we say Christ has done everything and there's nothing left for you to do, people say, well, faith without works is dead, to which we say we agree, and there will be good works in God's elect, not because of them, but because of union with Christ and because of the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And you just can't, you can't have this conversation biblically without acknowledging those things. And so what we're trying to do in a lot of ways is free people from the bondage of this kind of prove yourself theology, mm. where they're constantly trying to do enough to prove that they're legit. Mm. <laughs> and I think to John's point, it's, you're exactly right. It turns people inward, whereas in the Christian life, we are called to live an outwardly oriented life toward God and neighbor. Yeah, and it's what's interesting is that it doesn't always drive with how we think because we think that the way to motivate people to do good things <laughs> is to tell them that there's something that's undone that they need to do, that there's something that's left unfinished. And yeah. I think that the the general thought is that's right. going to motivate people to be more mm -hmm. spiritual. But I think that as it always is in the gospel, it's upside down to the way that we think. It's upside right. down logic. <laughs> The it is finishedness, the doneness of the gospel, so to speak, yeah. actually is a yeah. way better motivator, if you can, if right. I can say it that way, towards good works than any other sense of coercion uh, ever could. And well, brother, yeah. the law is a terrible motivator. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> it'll all guilt and shame. Yeah, yeah. It'll anyway. it'll always beat right. down. It'll always leave people right. exhausted and weary. Exactly. And it's so interesting to me how that's how we i mean of course this is this is human nature we haven't really changed much since genesis 3 but i would say also too like you were talking about um uh, or I was just reminded because, you know, Paul in, in, Gen in Galatians 3 is, you know, talking about how if you're saved by the Spirit, are you now being kept in by the flesh and all those sorts of things. And it reminded me of something that my pastor used to say in Florida. He was, he used to say, you cannot renegotiate the terms of your redemption. And so That's often right. we like no to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. We want to kind of renegotiate the terms of that deal. And no, it's, it's, it's one way. It's a one way transaction mm -hmm. that's already been done. And this is the beauty of, of, of studying the covenants um, is just the mm -hmm. fact that every single time you have a God who should not covenant with people recovenanting with them of his own accord. <laughs> and so almost every one of them is a one way covenant with people he knows are going to break it. And it's, it's so fascinating that that's what he's done in the covenant of grace and salvation is that right. <laughs> he knows we're going to screw it up, but he's covenanted with us anyways, because that's the type of well, God. I gonna, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was going to say the covenant of grace certainly is one way. Yeah. I mean, that, that is obvious Yeah, because yeah. God does it. You know, the covenant of works with Adam is not that. And there are even aspects of the other covenants that are conditional, but the covenant of grace, the promise that we see revealed, mm -hmm. you know, in the old Testament, but then ultimately established and accomplished in Christ that is a one-way deal, yep. and God is the actor. We, you know, He He is the one who does it all, and then we benefit. Yeah, I would say if if Jesus if Jesus's phrase is "Come unto me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Hmm. When you come to Jesus and you don't have rest, I think something's wrong. 
<laughs> I just, yeah. I, I don't understand how you can hear Jesus say that and believe the gospel and then not have rest. I think if you find yourself coming to Christ and you're anxious, then you may, you have misunderstood Jesus and his call. Yeah. Mm. If the burden's heavy, it ain't Jesus. Right? That's I mean, right. that's very clear. And, um, I mean, yeah, it, it, but but think about the language that's used by many prominent teachers out there, you know, the demands of the gospel, to which I'm like, well, this is sort of law gospel distinction 101, because what we have now done is we have turned something that inherently has no demands, the gospel, into something that has a bunch of demands. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like the law demands. It demands everything, actually. You know, but it gives nothing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the gospel demands nothing, but it gives everything. Yep. You know, and it's like we've got to keep that clear. Uh, or, or to John's point, all you're going to end up doing is you're going to make Jesus sound like a very, very heavy burden. It's like <laughs> almost worse than the one I had before. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So, yeah. as you've defined pietism, and I, and I would say also in your experiences, how would you say that? Pietism has creeped into the church's faith without faith without really noticing it, so to speak. I mean, how much time do you have, Brad? I have, I have, yeah. <laughs> how much time do we have, even? Yeah. yeah. John, go, man. Yeah, I would say the easiest way that it's it's crept in is everyone. Um, Faithful churches that I think are preaching the gospel will say, you are saved by faith alone. And they will they will slam their fist on the table because, you know, they're fighting back against Rome. Uh, any idea that you could earn your salvation by works. Uh, where it has crept back in is that uh, you have to now prove to God that you mean business. And where this, what this sounds like is uh, most evangelicals are going after that lazy Christian. So it's either radicalism, it's evangelism, it's Black Lives Matter, it's social justice. The real Christian then is involved in these things. And the burden is how much must I be involved if I truly love God? How much must I be involved in spiritual disciplines and evangelism? Um, and so pietism is the constant inward focus on my growth and sanctification so that I am proving to myself, to others, and to God that I am legit. And I want to start with God and say, he knows his children. He never wonders who belongs to him. And so if you think you need to do something to prove yourself to God and misinterpret Hebrews 12, uh, I'm sorry to, to uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to let you know, God has never wondered who belongs to him. He knows all things. <laughs> His children are precious to him. Yeah. As far as proving it to other people, um, if they're putting a burden on you that is not biblical and it's not in scripture, and I always ask, how much fruit do you need to see in order to know that my confession is real? And if mm. you're the one creating the, the standard, I'll never meet it. Mm. Uh, so this is the part of pietism that's crept back into the church where everybody is always measuring up to each other or to some certain mm. standard that's been handed to them. Where Christ says, if you are safe in, in me and I in you, then love God and love your brother. I mean, if you want to know what the litmus test is for Christianity is you, you got to love your brother. And he doesn't even say how much. He just says you need to love your brother. And if you don't, then the truth's not in you. Uh, so all these other litmus tests that people put on you as far as what you must do in order to be a Christian or what you must feel or whatever emotion you must have, (laughs) it's just not biblical. No. Yeah. I'm going to make more of an observation maybe uh, about this. I think that one of the main ways we see pietism manifest itself in the American evangelical church, and I'm even thinking about the more conservative, like robust end of that spectrum, is uh, to John brought up a, a word, you know, the, the lazy Christian. I'm going to use another word, um, you know, the nominal Christian, the Christian in name only. <laughs> so we are in a, a context in the American church that has been tremendously affected by revivalism, you know, where um, we're after decisions and even just this kind of conversionistic approach, like we need people to make professions of faith in Jesus and all of these kinds of things. And that has borne a lot of bad fruit in America where you have a lot of people who have prayed a prayer and walked an aisle and all these sorts of things, 
um, and may not have been genuinely converted. And so then now, because bad theology has produced that situation, call it nominalism or easy believism or whatever you want, I don't care. You notice that the posture of many pastors and evangelical leaders is we need to smoke out the fakers. And so what we need to do now is put burdens upon people because only the really serious Christians are going to bear mm. them. We need to try to, to, like I say, smoke out the nominal. And that kind of tone is prevalent. And I think it's just, again, become ubiquitous to where you need to, to prove you're legit. You need to be doing enough. You need to take this seriously. And if you're not, then you need to be concerned. But what ends up happening is you end up kind of bludgeoning and unsettling the sheep who are weary and who are being beat to death by their own corruption and sin and the battle against the flesh. And then you end up causing them to question everything mm. uh, as, to, as to their standing before the Lord. And so I think that um, this, this kind of smoke out the fakers mentality is, uh, is damaging. Mm. And it's the stuff that goes along with that, the emphasis on disciplines and discipleship and rigor and all of these kinds of things. And are you feeling the right ways? Are you doing the right stuff? That's kind of how you would demonstrate that you're a, the real thing and not just a poser. Hmm. And yeah. uh, I don't know. I think it's just everywhere. And and that's just not, again, how the New Testament works. As John said, the apostles always write in this very status-forward, identity-forward way, yep. not do enough to prove your identity. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, anyway. I know, John and Justin, you are on a time crunch here. And maybe I'm going to ask too robust of a question, but <laughs> I, I have it's man, okay. Go for this it. is. This has been such a thrilling. We'll try to answer <laughs> a thrilling conversation. I'll, and and John, if you need to hop off, that's fine or whatever. But my question is sort of referencing that topic, but also what we were talking about beforehand, which is just what would you say to a pastor, a younger pastor perhaps, who is so like jiving with the things we're talking about, and he's trying to implement this into his own church context. And in a church context that's inundated with pietism, perhaps, let's say, and what counsel would you give to them? What encouragement or or what would you just say to that, let's say, younger guy who is trying to do his best to um, uh, to uh, bring this bring this to bear in his where he is, where God has put put him, so to speak? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I can tell you what you shouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, one of the things that's been, I think, encouraging for Justin and I and Jimmy. We we talk often. As soon as we get off this call, we'll, we'll have a conversation just about life and what we're doing and how we're shepherding people. Um, in my current context, I have people coming from all over. I've had a large influx of charismatics that have been coming to our church Um I've had people from large evangelical churches and some from, you know, the fundamentalist background. It's been a, it's been a wide range to see people coming, but they all need the same thing. Um, when you start going after bad theology because it's drowning them and you can see all this weight pulling them under, you have to be, you have to be careful that um, what you go after is the most important thing because it, a lot of times if you're not careful, people will clench onto something tighter because it's hard for them to admit they're wrong. Hmm. Uh, so I tend to stay away from the theological debates about stuff. Um, I, you know, I've got appointments today where people, they want to talk about speaking in tongues and prophecies. And I'll be honest, I don't really care to talk about that. Uh, that's not what they really need to hear. What they need to hear about is the sufficiency of Christ and where Christ right. is their hope and their rest. Most people, we just did a podcast. Well, it came out today and I'm thinking about it. It's called the birthplace of bad theology, which I recommend. Can I recommend our own podcast? Of course. <laughs> I recommend people go listen to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what we're trying to pull up there is that people will prop themselves up through spiritual disciplines, speaking in tongues, um, Bible reading, whatever else they want to put in there, soul winning, uh, lack of sin, to say, I'm good with God because of these things. Mm. And what I, what Justin and I are trying to do in our pastoral context, when I would encourage every 
uh, pastor to do is you need to create the firm foundation of Christ and the sufficiency of mm-hmm. Christ. And I can promise you from a biblical perspective, when Paul says, I want to make nothing known among you except for Christ and him crucified, the bad theology will start falling away yeah. because it's no longer needed to prop them up. So it's yeah. the sufficiency of Christ that becomes the priority, not creation, not all these other doctrines. I'm not saying they're not important, but it's not the battleground you're looking for. No. So three quick things. One, to John's point, this is by far the most important. You herald Jesus Christ in his finished work. Um, and I think I would, I would describe it the way that Calvin does in his commentary on 1 John and in particular his comments on 1 John 5, 13. He says, It is the duty of every godly minister to extol as much as possible the grace of Jesus Christ, mm. so that we, being satisfied in that, might look to nothing else. You do that mm. every single week. You exalt and extol Jesus and what he has done in the place of the sinner, and you do that every week for decades. And then, underneath, those, uh, underneath that, two other thoughts. Second, you love the sheep. You love the saints. Like And love means that you're patient. It means that you're kind. You're not bludgeoning them to death. You're not growing just frustrated with them because they don't get it quickly enough for <laughs> you. You love them. Third, you slow drip the other stuff. So like to John's point, you don't, you don't die on every hill. I agree with that. But then if you're preaching through the scriptures, handle things that are in your text. You know, And when something is clearly there, take advantage of that opportunity to blow up bad thinking, but don't just mow everybody down and be this guy that is just deconstructing and tearing everything up all the time, because that's going to be harmful for your people in a number of Mm. ways. Yeah. To add to that, Justin, my encouragement is, and this is where Theocast and I would say both Justin as ministries have made massive changes, is that you need to be known for what you are for. You need to lead people yep. towards something, yes. not away yep. from something. Yes. Okay. Right. Rob Bell. You can't just be known for what you're against. Right. Rob Bell is brilliant in pointing out the evangelical flaws, but he led people into the desert. Okay. Mm. You want to lead people to the source of life. And if you do it effectively, you are going to naturally lead them away from harmful theology. Yes. You're going to lead them away from themselves and to Jesus, <laughs> hopefully. That's the idea. Yeah. Well, I'm so – man, there's so much more I want to talk about, but I know you guys have a time crunch. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where, if you want to, uh, please do so. Uh, where can we find you? Where's Theocast? And what are some things that we can look forward to coming out uh, in the coming weeks? Yeah. Uh, Theocast.org is where you can find all of our material. If you want to contact us, there's a contact form there. And Justin and and Jimmy, we read all of those uh, that come through. And uh, so we'd be be honored to hear from you. Uh, We do have a free primer that is, uh, Brad had mentioned before, that is available if you want to kind of get a little bit more of an introduction of what we're talking about. It's called Faith versus Faithfulness. You can go to theocast.org slash primer. And then uh, Justin Nice Churches, if you are wanting to hear Justin's, is CovBAP. It's C-O-V. Is that right? CovBAP.org? Yeah, yeah, covbap.org, C-O-V-B-A-P.org. And his sermons can be found there. And then mine is at uh, graceform.org. Yeah, and of course, you know, Theocast as well as John and, and myself, I mean, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, whatever. I mean, so people can awesome. find stuff we're putting up there as well. Guys, thank you so much. This has been super encouraging for me, uh, a blessing. So if anyone else is blessed, I don't know, but I I know I am. So (laughs) Uh, thank you so much for (laughs) this wonderful conversation. And uh, I'm so glad that I can rest in Christ. So amen. 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 Good to be with you, man. Thank you so much for listening. That's it for this episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast. Uh, I hope you've been blessed. Uh, make sure you check out all the resources that are going to be in the notes for this show. Uh, many of the links uh, will point you over to where John and Justin are ministering. They'll point you over to uh, their podcast, theocast.org. So make sure you check out all those resources. Uh, give them a listen. Subscribe to their podcast. I know you'll be encouraged by their conversations and by uh, their exploration of what it means to rest in Christ alone. So I hope you've been blessed. Uh, Thank you so much for subscribing to this podcast, Ministry Minded. Uh, I appreciate so much all of your encouragement and support. Thank you for uh, your comments and your, your notes and your prayers. You are a blessing to me. So I hope this has been a blessing to you. I'll see you on the next episode.
Blessings. 